Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough. <laughs> Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Theresa May is heading over to Brussels for what reason uh, we do not really know. Last night uh, she came out in favour of the great British populace. She said that she was on our side against the side of those nasty pesky MPs who keep trying to tell her that her deal is no good and they certainly aren't going to vote it through. It seems to me that going to Brussels at this particular point is going to be of absolutely no use whatsoever. Brexit Minister Akwazi Kwarteng has said that basically he believes the MPs are coming over to back the Prime Minister's Brexit deal. Well, hang on a second. I thought John Burko had already said that she can't represent that deal because she's already lost the vote twice. So how on earth is she going to bring it back a third time if he's already said that she can't do that unless it's substantially altered? It really is becoming like some kind of game of a triangular and three-dimensional chess, isn't it? Absolutely and utterly ridiculous, absolutely and utterly pointless, and really uh, completely and utterly the worst organised event, I think, of my entire political history, and probably the country's political history as well. 0344 499 uh, I've said for the last two days now, it is time for Theresa May to just shuffle off, to leave office, to get out of Downing Street, and leave it to somebody who can actually make something happen. She can't seem to make anything happen. She can't write a letter without asking permission. She can't make a speech without asking permission. She can't even have an opinion without asking somebody's permission. And even having done all that, everybody still disagrees with her. And the EU leaders in Brussels are literally shaking their heads and saying, do we really have to meet this woman? Is there any point in any way whatsoever? 0344 499 1000. We'll take more of your calls coming up in this hour. Coming up as well, we're going to talk to Stuart McDonald, member of the Home Affairs Select Committee, SNP MP as well. He's going to tell us why the Home Office is making such a bad job of running immigration detention centres in this country. Uh, you're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 
So we hear an awful lot about the immigration problems in this country, that we don't have enough uh, wherewithal to stop people coming here illegally or legally, uh, staying over their legal uh, visas and, in fact, hanging around for much longer than they should. One of the reasons, of course, that the Brexit uh, withdrawal agreement was drawn up was because the result of the referendum, which was in favour of leaving the European Union, was very much driven by people's kind of attitudes towards immigration. We still haven't really sorted out those attitudes. We still haven't really sorted out the immigration policy that this government is supposed to be running. But let's find out from Stuart McDonald right now precisely what is wrong uh, with the detention centres in this country where we are putting people who've come here, first of all, uh, or who are being deported out of the country because apparently they are absolutely terrible institutions and ghastly places. Stuart, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, mate. Thank, Thank you. Yeah, thanks very much indeed for joining us. I mean, I, I, I always say this when I talk to any MP at the moment out with the uh, uh, the Brexit scenario. It's nice to see that you're actually still doing some other work as well uh, while we're yeah. trying to sort out the future of the nation and all of that. But what is the problem here? Because um, the Home Office is charged with a great many things. It has been split up in various different ways now. The Department of Justice was created. You know, they don't absolutely have to run everything, but they don't seem to be able to run anything very well. It's a, a, a fair point, a fair question. I think one of the problems is uh, its budget has been cut to, to pieces yeah. uh, and it's trying to do everything on a shoestring and it's not doing it very well and mm. uh, immigration detention is one of the, the areas where it's struggling badly. Right. And what qualifies somebody to be sent to one of these places in the first place? Well, the Home Office will say that it's a, a matter of a last resort in its attempts to persuade somebody to leave the country if they don't have the right to be here. But actually what we found is that too often it's it's doing that, first of all. Mm. Um, it's just putting folk in these detention centres without any limit of time, quite often detaining folk who really shouldn't be there, like torture survivors or folk who there are no grounds to remove from the country, people with mental ill health, for example, and it's having a, a drastic effect on them. And the, the other point is that it just doesn't work. It doesn't do what even the Home Office wants it to do in that 50%, over 50% of these people will eventually just be released back into the community as well. So it's a, a failure from all, all sorts of uh, perspectives. And what is exactly the situation where um, uh, you put... So, so you're saying that these, most of the people who are in these detention centres are people who have been here, uh, but who are not actually um, necessarily supposed to be here, but they're not going there as soon as they arrive here. They're going there after they've been here for a while. Uh, that, that will more, most often be the case, yeah. Uh, perhaps somebody has been found who has uh, um, overstayed a, a previous visa, uh, but quite often it will be somebody who has, has fled persecution but for various reasons hasn't been found to be entitled to refugee status uh, and the Home Office decides to, to remove them as well. But at the, at the end of the day, it's not just a matter of whether or not somebody has status to be here. Uh, quite often some of these people have not had a proper chance to put their case um, but even then going further than that there are other ways to try and enforce immigration rules it doesn't have to be let's put folk uh, in detention massive prison-like detention centres in the middle of nowhere um, where serious harm is done to them there are lots of other ways you can enforce immigration rules which don't have to involve such um, inhumanity frankly and which uh, which numbers are we talking about here are we talking hundreds of people in these detention centres thousands Thousands. At any one time, you'll have 2,000, 2,500 people in the detention centre of the United Kingdom. During the course of any one year, there'll be about 25,000 people go through this experience. Uh, I mean, this is hugely up from even just 15, 20 years ago, where the, the detention estate could uh, had a capacity of about 500. So, And we're also way out of culture with what other European countries do. Other European countries find other ways to try and encourage folk to, to, to leave the country or to enforce immigration rules, and they do not have indefinite detention where folk can be kept locked away for months, even years on some occasions, mm. just for the Home Office's convenience. 
Now, a lot of people would probably say, Stuart, that if there are detention centres, then they need to be used for the right purposes, i.e. if there are people here who have either, one, overstayed their welcome uh, or overstayed their visa, overstayed their student uh, time here, you know, you've got to do something with them and you can't mm-hmm. just allow everybody just to stay on the basis that you can't put them in a detention centre. Well, I mean, the, the report doesn't say that we shouldn't have detention at all. Uh, just that because of the consequences it has for people, that it should be a matter of last resort and that we shouldn't be putting vulnerable people in there, folk who are victims of torture and so on. Um, but as I say, there are other ways you can persuade people to, to leave the country. And in actual fact, you know, the vast majority of folk do abide with uh, uh, immigration terms and, and conditions. But it, you know, even home office pilot schemes, or if we look at what other countries do, they actually have a better success rate in persuading folk to go home um, without having to use detention. Um, you're talking 69, 70% success rates for some schemes, right. whereas, as I say, only less than half of people who are detained actually are removed from the country. So uh, not only is it inhumane for, for people who've been detained, it's actually not even doing what the Home Office wants it to do. OK, so what should they be doing instead, then? Instead of detention? Well, instead of the way they're detaining them at the moment, what, sure. what's the alternative? Well, what we suggest is, first of all, to, to, to try and make sure that you're not uh, detaining folk who shouldn't be detained. You have to have a much closer judicial oversight. We are locking folk up without folk even having the, the chance to, to make their case to a judge. So we suggest that everyone should have a, judici- a, a, a judicial hearing within three days. Um, we also suggest a time limit on detention of 28 days. We don't see there's any justification for people being kept longer than that. Mm. And we also want to see lots of improvements to procedures once folk are in there so that they can identify folk who are um, suffering real mental ill health mm. or are becoming suicidal, for example, because right. all these processes are failing as well. Yeah, right. Because I was quite surprised that when we were talking about the whole Windrush conversation some months mm-hmm. ago, and, and just by uh, a matter of no no particular reason, I see that the, many people now who were mistakenly deported have been offered British citizenship, which is a good thing. It turned mm-hmm. out that there's an awful lot more people being deported from this country on a on a weekly and a monthly basis than we ever knew. Sure. Uh, uh, I mean, it's quite. I mean, it's like twenty thousand here, thirty thousand there. It's quite. I mean, because the, the perception, I suppose, the reason I'm saying this is because people assume that we're not deporting anyone at all. Oh no, the Home Office is incredibly active in uh, trying to remove and deport people. Uh, I think the, the, the greater problem is that, that too often they are cutting corners and getting it wrong. And as we saw with Windrush, removing and, and deporting people who just should never have been anywhere near a, a detention centre or, or uh, the, the, the clutches of immigration enforcement at all. Right. And I mean, as a result of, of maybe being detained wrongly or being detained for too long, are we seeing a lot of cases that are coming through the courts now? where people are actually asking for compensation and that kind of thing? Uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, as you can well understand, if you were a, a member of the Windrush generation who'd been detained, uh, you would want uh, some sort of compensation for that. Mm. And, and you know, the, the Home Office is paying out, I think it's uh, several million pounds every year in compensation for people who have been detained unlawfully. Uh, so, you know, it's a, a, a serious sums of money. And the, the detention estate as a whole actually costs, you know, £100 million pounds every year. Right. And that we, we think that money could be better spent on alternatives rather than in a massive detention system. OK. And you can also probably put paid to one of the myths of, 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 uh, of political life in this country where a lot of people will say to me and a lot of people will say on Twitter and social media, you know, what happens is these asylum seekers come to this country, uh, they get given a council house, they get uh, given uh, permission for their kids to go to school, you you know, they all get uh, uh, allowances to stay here and all of that. Clearly, from what you're telling me, that's not the case. No, not at all. If, if somebody puts in a, a claim for refugee status, if they are destitute, then what, what that person is claiming is that they've fled from persecution. So for a short period of time, they will, they will be housed um, 
and they will receive a very basic amount of support. You're talking £5 a day. Mm. Um, they're not allowed to work. So, you know, a lot of them are really, really struggling in difficult conditions. And once their uh, claim is decided, if they are entitled to protection as a refugee, then uh, they will be allowed to, to remain in the country and they'll be supported uh, in the same way as, as the rest of us. And at that if point, not, they will be able to work and or claim benefits, yeah. right? Exactly, but if they are if they are not uh, found to be entitled to, to refugee protection, then um, that all comes to an end, and the Home Office uh, will set about trying to remove people. Right. We think it does it in the wrong way, but uh, there's no question that the Home Office does its best to to remove folk if they're not entitled. To and and do you know what the percentages are of those people that that come here that get removed or who don't get allowed to stay? Uh, I don't have. All these numbers off the, the top of my head, I have to confess, Mike. In terms of asylum claims, I think you will find that 20-25% uh, are granted refugee status by the Home Office. But what you also find is that of those who are refused and then appeal against the decision, the Home Office is found to have got it wrong at least half the time. Right. So it's pretty, pretty scary even at that stage. And that ends up costing us a lot of money. So, so, I mean, what we want to yeah. do is try and avoid that sort of situation, right? Well, we don't want appeals. We don't want to get uh, decisions wrong at all. A, because it's, it's bad for the public post, but B, it's wrong um, for the person who has fled persecution not to be offered the, the protection that we have a, a legal and, mm. I think, a moral obligation to provide to them. No, absolutely. Stuart, thanks very much indeed. Stuart McDonald, uh, member of the Home Affairs Select Committee, uh, also an SNP MP, uh, telling us about the failings of the uh, of the Home Office and the detention centre system, uh, which we should all be concerned about, because at the end of the day, what ends up happening uh, is that people end up getting compensation, end up getting money and it costs us millions and millions and millions of pounds a mid-morning dance with the devil the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio Now, as you might expect, uh, we have a very talented group of uh, followers on Twitter here at the Independent Republic, and uh, and Goat has uh, done up, as we suspected he would, uh, Theresa May as the screen. Uh, so if you go and look on my Twitter account, you will see that I've retweeted it, and it looks rather good, actually. And you imagine Theresa May in Brussels as the screen by Edvard Munch, and it does uh, actually make you chuckle rather than despair, which is what most of us are doing today as we wait and see whether or not there's going to be a short extension, a long extension, no extension at all, uh, any deal, no deal, you know. No, no deal breaks it. Absolutely anything is on the table and nothing is on the table and nothing may happen. Theresa May uh, will be in Brussels later and will bring you all the news as it comes in. Right now, though, we're going to talk to James Max, uh, our, of course, uh, early breakfast presenter here at Talk Radio, former investment banker, because for once we've got some good news on the tax front. James, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Good afternoon. Now, I make no apology for highlighting this particular story because an awful lot of people uh, who work as we do in the media uh, and who work for various different sort of organisations are kind of in the firing line at the moment from HMRC because they're looking at us as though we are members of staff of a particular organisation. And Lorraine Kelly uh, was looked at as one of those and she's just won her case. So will this be precedent setting, do you think? I think it will be precedent setting. And I think one needs to take a step back and say, well, why is it that HMRC are looking into this? Mm. And inevitably it started because there was a lot of um, confusion when it came to dealing particularly with BBC stars. Are people paying enough tax? And when you look at an individual like you or me or or various others Mm. who are employed on a contractual basis, so we are not employees, we are contractors who go and do shows, it sometimes looks as if, 
particularly when you work at the BBC and you are restricted from doing anything else for anybody else, that you are an employee. If you're an employee, then there are two things that then happen. First of all, you as an individual will have a different rate of tax because, for example, uh, you will have to pay uh, certain kinds of national insurance and various other things. And in addition to that, your employer will have to pay certain things for you. Mm. So they'll have to do a pension. They'll have to make sure that they pay their national insurance contributions. And you're not able to claim certain things. So say, for example, if you've got an agent, a certain amount of your income will go to that agent. Is that a cost or is that something that you can offset against tax? Mm. So Lorraine Kelly, they said, well, you've been working on this show uh, for ITV and therefore you are an ITV employee, they said. And four years after... Uh, certain uh, accounts were submitted by the company that she had, they sent her a tax bill of nearly £900,000 in income tax and £300,000 in national insurance contributions. And as you can imagine, that's a lot of tax to pay. Now, it does indicate that maybe she's a very well-paid individual. But that is where we as society got a little bit confused. Oh, hang on a second. That person's earning a lot of money, so therefore Mm. we must go after them. As opposed to that person has a lot of differences with the way that they're treated. And if you are going to treat somebody and say, right, we're not going to pay you sick pay, we're not going to pay you holiday pay, you are going to be subject to different rules when it comes to getting rid of you. Say, for example, suddenly ITV decide they don't like Lorraine Kelly anymore, they cannot sign a new contract. So she can be out of a job immediately. Right. And their original uh, sort of objection, I suppose, if, if for want of a better word, as far as HMRC was concerned, was they were worried that some of these companies that were set up by people like Lorraine Kelly through which to channel the money that she got from ITV and other places, they were worried that these were just kind of service companies and they weren't really real trading companies. And that's been disproven as well, hasn't it? Well, it has been disproven because inevitably, if you're somebody like Lorraine Kelly, you'll do a whole load of things. So she will be very often asked to go and speak at things. Uh, She'll be asked to go and do promotions. She might be asked to uh, do an advert Mm. and all sorts of stuff. And I guess, again, it comes back to the whole BBC thing because there are some people at the BBC where instead of paying them properly, saying, we as an employer don't want you to do all these other things. We are going to restrict you. So you can't do commercial endorsements, you can't do adverts, you can't go and work mm. for ITV or a different radio station or whatever right. it may be, um, which is not in direct competition with what you do. So say, for example, it's perfectly reasonable for an employer to say, uh, Mike Graham, you present uh, a, a show on talk radio, and therefore there are one or two other stations which are quite similar. Please, you are not allowed to go and do a similar show on those stations. Right. That doesn't restrict you from, you know, you could go and become the new person on Celebrity Juice, for example. Yeah. That's possible. Or I could get a job on Newsnight, maybe, if I was a woman. Um, you could... <laughs> or, or, or in... Uh, yeah, no. Sorry, I mean, I just there. thought I'd throw that in. Why, why would you want to go and work on a dead programme in a dead format? Well, that's very true, too. Yeah, we're all about the cutting edge here at Talk Radio, obviously. <laughs> So I think that this is this is uh, this whole HMRC thing was as a result of misplaced, um, I suppose, vigour with trying to make people uh, feel as if the tax system is being fair. Yeah. But in fact, it's got to work both ways because if you're not, as an employer, going to pay somebody sick leave. So, for example, if you don't turn up tomorrow, uh, you don't get paid. Mm. Um, or if I don't turn up yeah. tomorrow, and, and I have Christo in doing my show, right. which I do, yes. I don't get paid. Quite. Uh, and that's because you and I, we, we have a different arrangement. It's, mm. it's a contractual arrangement, and we do lots of other things for lots of other people. Right. So this is a, a landmark case, very important, but also 
it drives me mad that our tax system and uh, the amount of resource that's been taken up to hound people who are genuinely doing a good job, trying to do the right thing, and also playing by very complicated rules mm. which they set. Yes. We didn't set them, they set them. And which they are making more complex with every passing year. You know, we're supposed to be getting a simplified tax code, but in fact, if you are not employed and PAYE-driven, uh, then your life becomes very complicated and you need all sorts of accountants to actually even fill out your tax return. Well, exactly, and it is it is very complicated. I mean, it's quite interesting that one of the rulings and part of this ruling was that, in essence, what they said about Lorraine Kelly is that they said that she was putting on a performance, a mm. persona of herself. Yes. So it's quite interesting, that, um, and I'm sure that when you do your show, uh, I know you, away from the microphone, yeah. you're very similar to how you are on the radio. Tragically, you yes, it's true. <laughs> I'm afraid so. <laughs> You're not exactly the same. And the reason that you're not exactly the same is that um, you can't necessarily project everything that you are on your radio show because of either broadcasting rules or the fact that it's not a show if you suddenly do yes that. If, for example you know you happen to be in a bad mood you might be able to project aspects of your bad mood mm. but if you did it all the time it really wouldn't work well no of course not no so, absolutely it is a performance and you are being therefore employed in order to do a particular thing and it's very important that for you and indeed for others like you you are able to go off and work for other people and do other things like for example whether it's writing uh, in newspapers or perhaps appearing as a guest uh, on uh, other kinds of media uh, broadcasting yeah. things so i think this is this is a landmark thing and hopefully it will stop the taxpayers um, resource being spent on HMRC in this way because it is very expensive. And, and there also, there are, I mean, I know this is not a scientific point, but there are those who are saying they went after the wrong person with Lorraine Kelly because she is something of a national treasure and not somebody that people would believe was trying, was, was at it, frankly. Do you know what I mean? I think that's, that is part of it. And, and they were trying to get a high profile scalp in order to try and, and persuade all the other people that maybe we've never heard of that this is wrong, where in fact the mirror should be on HMRC and on the government. Mm. Make the rules clear, and then people will play by the rules. As far as I'm concerned, for example, uh, I try and make sure that I do the right thing by the rules, um, because no sensible individual, and I don't care whether you are employed or, or freelance, no sensible individual will pay more tax than they have to. No. Tax is not, in my view, a moral issue. It is a moral issue to make sure that you play by the law. It is not, then, a moral issue when it comes to tax itself, in my opinion. Yes, no, I think you're absolutely right. And there is all sorts of arguments about how tax that is collected may not be spent properly or responsibly either. But, James, thank you very much indeed. You're not back tomorrow morning, but you're back. are you back... Uh, back on Monday, Monday yes. morning, yes, oh, good. Oh, yes, Excellent. Bright, fresh and breezy well, and I shall, all excitement. I shall look forward to that, James. Thank you very much indeed. James Max. Uh, Christo doing his show tomorrow morning, very, very early at 5 o'clock. James will be back on uh, Monday morning at 5 with the early breakfast right here uh, on Talk Radio. Matthew Wright coming up at 1 o'clock. He'll be here to tell us what's going on on his show. Plus, we'll be taking loads more of your calls as well. This is Talk Radio. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync... 
things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. You're listening to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio in association with The Times. It is politics tamed. An awful lot of you have got an awful lot to say about Roy, uh, much of it with uh, laughing emojis next to them. Remainer Roy is a sheep in sheep's clothing, uh, says Steve. Uh, Pooch says Roy in Preston, followed by a whole load of laughing faces. Uh, here's one from uh, uh, Reese, who says there's going to be riots on this island if democracy uh, isn't met. JC says, sorry, but I agree with the current caller, Mike. He may not have his ducks in a row perfectly, but I rather like the idea of proportional representation and think the Dutch parliamentary system works quite well. Uh, well, JC, I had no idea you were an expert in the Dutch parliamentary system, uh, but I've also been sent a piece by Muttley uh, in which it says the Dutch government uh, has lost the Senate majority uh, amid a populist surge and it's all going horribly wrong. Certainly, I would say to you, and it's only my opinion, you can by all means have a different one, uh, but I think proportional rep- representation is a very bad idea indeed because unfortunately it represents people uh, who perhaps are overrepresented and underrepresents people who should be represented better. And what it also does is it provides generally speaking, uh, for politicians to sit in Parliament and to become members of Parliament, even though you haven't physically voted for those particular individuals. And I don't think that's right. I think you ought to have the sense and the ability to vote for the people that end up representing you, rather than they get selected by some list uh, system by the uh, the powers that be in that particular party. But we'll come back to that, because we're now going to speak to a very important man, Hugo Chapman, curator at the British Museum. Hugo, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning to you. It's very good to be, you know... Uh, join in your independent republic well listen i mean our independent republic is very very open it's very democratic it's open to all people with all sorts of ideas and certainly we need as much cultural input into it as we possibly can uh, and we're going to talk now about edvard munch love and angst uh, which is a great uh, exhibition that you're putting on next month right yeah it opens on on 11th of april runs until the 21st of july Tickets are available. Excellent, excellent. I'm delighted to say, I'm not quite sure why, but the British Museum Twitter account actually follows me, uh, and I follow it. Of course so, we do. And I mean, I, you know, you know we, <laughs> we all absolutely tune in to you. And you my know, kids, and my kids love it. The museum at well, all time. well, my kids love the British Museum, and whenever they're up in London, I always take them. But the great story today that we're going to talk about is that the Scream, which is probably Edvard Munch's most famous painting, may not actually be uh, a Scream at all. Well, uh, that, that, that's a, a, a kind of, you know, it, it certainly relates to the scream. I mean, what, we, what we're going to show in, in, in the exhibition is a lithograph, a print, one of 20 remaining prints he did of this image that mm. he printed in, Ger- 
in, in Berlin in 1895, and it has got the title in German, Geschrei, meaning the scream, and then in German, I won't uh, make you suffer my German, I'll read it in English, <laughs> it says, I felt a large scream pass through nature. So I think it's more about Monk's sense of the despair and anxiety and uh, the whole, you know, feeling that uh, death is all around us, all those feelings, um, rather than him kind of shouting out. Mm. He, he feels this scream that's sort of within, within the world. I mean, obviously, these are, these are feelings that none of your listeners will have because, you know, everything's going so well. Well, exactly. I mean, why on earth would you end up wanting to stand in the middle of the street and scream? At this moment in time, and everything's going so well. I'm surprised, actually, in some ways, because I've seen lots of depictions of this that somebody hasn't done Theresa May as the scream. To be honest, well, I mean, obviously, this is <laughs> this has been a gift over the years for you know for I mean, it is you know it is one of the most recognisable images in, in Western art. Yeah, um, and and in a way, what the exhibition is about is that Monk is a, a lot more than just this one image of the scream. Mm. There's other. Uh, you know, he's uh, he kind of majors on these themes of you know as uh, love and angst and the difficulties between the you know the sexes yeah. and despair and all these joyful feelings. But uh, you know, um, yeah, I mean, the end. You know, the end. The scream is about the inevitability of death. Yes. I suppose you know, which is a jolly. Well, jolly like a lot of art, I suppose it's whatever you want it to be, isn't it? I mean, you don't have to be particularly. Um, you know, uh, straightforward about anything. You can you can make it into anything you want it to be. Really, you can represent anything that you want it to be. Absolutely. I mean, I you know, Monk, Monk was feeling his his scream, his anxiety. But I mean, I think the the why this image has has endured is is because each age. It has its own, you know, anxieties. Mm. In, in that period, in 1890s, they were worried about industrialization. They were worried about, you know, the, uh, you know, syphilis and tuberculosis mm. and all these things. We have different anxieties now, but they're, they're, they're no less real. No. And as you say, it is one of the most recognisable pains. It's kind of like what I would call a gateway drug into art, in a way, because everybody knows it. Everybody who you show it to knows what it's called, practically. And yeah. but, but it will draw them into the museum and they'll look at all the other stuff that's there, hopefully. I hope so, yeah. I mean, it's one of the few... I mean, it's sort of one of those few artworks you see uh, on tattoos. Mm. I think that's always a sign that, you know, it's a very, very recognisable... Uh, but, you know, there are other images I think people will sort of know, like the vampire, which shows a, a kind of woman kind of sucking on a man's neck and yeah. things like that. Um, so, yes, there are, Monk is, is more than just one image. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, if people just go for one thing, they will see much more and, and get a much more rounded idea of the extraordinary yeah. artist that Monk was. Now, I don't know where I got it from, and I'm not sure who gave it to me, but I once had a sort of a blow-up version of it. Um, which was like sort of something that you would you just sort of blew air into, and it stood in the corner, and it was about maybe two and a half feet high. Will you have any of those two, any of that sort of merchandise to sell? Oh God, I'm sure we have. You know, no, our, our music, <laughs> we love merchandise. Yeah, um, uh, I'm not sure whether that's particularly is, is but uh, there's going to be a lot of scream related. Right. Um, scream related, yeah. So come along and see if we have the inflatable scream. But, no, brilliant. Uh, Brilliant stuff. And what else have you got at the museum at the moment that people can see uh, that they don't know, maybe necessarily need to buy tickets for? Well, I mean, there's always... Uh, we have a great show upstairs at the moment, which is a free show about of uh, commemorating Rembrandt. Right. Rembrandt's 350 years. Oh, really? Um, but, uh, so that's, that's for free. Some wonderful drawings, some of his great greatest prints. 
you know, so that's I think is a more calming. If you need mm. a calming, you can you can lose yourself in in Dutch landscapes and you know contemplate and those very uh, dark portraits. Yeah, wonderful portraits. Mm. Um, uh, amazingly, you know, different the way he kind of inks the plate. Sometimes light, sometimes dark. Biblical stories. No, I mean they are unbelievably beautiful, and we have a great, great collection of them. So right. That, okay. I think we all need a bit of an, you know, if you needed an antidote, if you, you know, because obviously Monk is about anxiety and despair and all these things. Mm. I mean there are there are there are other things in the museum that uh, don't don't evoke those same okay. those same feelings. Because Easter holidays are coming up, so so you're going to be inundated with parents looking for something to do with the kids over the period of time. That, well, we have that always got the mummies. You know, the mummies. You know, the mummies are brilliant. Yeah, they're fantastic. We're back to death again, I'm afraid. But uh, but everybody loves the mummies. I mean, it's one of the. They do women. love the mummies, yeah, and yeah, and it's great. And is the is the museum business in rude health at the moment? Well, I mean, there are, we we have um, you know over six million people coming through our doors, and um, you know, but we we're we're always looking looking out for more. So um, yeah, don't don't. Uh, uh, you know, don't not come. We don't be a stranger, as they say. Don't be a stranger. Absolutely. <laughs> I think it sounds like you might need to come with your kids. I'm going to. I definitely. I mean, they they love it there. So I mean, they've been there more probably more than any other museum I've ever been to. So I shall bring them along, and we'll uh, we'll, we'll have a look at it. Be we great. All, at this time, I think we all need to understand our history uh, better, don't you think? Absolutely. Well, as my father used to say, there's no point uh, in looking forward before you look back. Because if you look back, you'll learn about how you did things in the past and you don't want to do them that way again. I think that's, he's he obviously a very wise he man. He was very wise. He was also an artist, which is hence my interest in oh, all these things. But there we oh, are. Fantastic. Hugo, thank you very much indeed. Lovely to talk to you. Hugo Chapman, curator at the British Museum. What a fine uh, specimen of a British uh, person, because that's the kind of thing uh, that we need in this country. The British Museum, one of the greatest museums in the world. And by the way, uh, it'll still be there after Brexit, if it ever happens. We might have to check in with the countdown clock soon and find out uh, how things are going and how soon uh, we are going to get to the point where nothing happens. Uh, with Brexit. This is Talk Radio. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. God is listening, people think you're out of your mind Even if you believe it Through all the hard times, I'm on your side I thought that was another um, alarm going off there for a minute, some kind of Brexit uh, foghorn scenario, but it's not. Uh, so there's no news yet on the Brexit front from Brussels. I don't expect there to be any news either, by the way, throughout the course of the day. But we'll check in later uh, with the countdown clock to see what's going on uh, and how close we are getting to nothing happening at all on Brexit. 0344 499 Let's go to the phones. Roy is in Preston. Hello, Roy. Hello, Mike. How are you? Very well, sir. What would you like to say? Well, I've got a unique answer, I suppose. Um, it's a whole story, so before your listeners jump on me for, for suggesting we don't leave, <laughs> it's not quite like that. Okay. What I, what I suggest Mrs May should do is she should be brave enough to stand up and admit that this is an absolute and utter disaster. Three years ago, we had a stable country, a respected country, a stable market for our, both our finances and our currency, and that we currently don't have. We need that back. And the only way to get that is to withdraw article 50 but not in a way that we say let's withdraw and that's it she should then follow that up with a, 
dissolving Parliament and instructing the parties to sort themselves out so that whichever leader they have for the parties, there may be some new parties, they're supported. And they're supported on the grounds of, do we want to run that referendum again? It's not a second referendum, it's the original referendum. Knowing that it's going to be 50-50 again or thereabouts, do we want to put that country and our country in that mess again? Or do we want to say, no, we don't want to do that again? So uh, what are you advocating exactly? I'm advocating that we dissolve Parliament, that she withdraws Article 50, right. we dissolve Parliament, and we ask Parliament to form the parties within Parliament, because that needs to be sorted out. We sort, the, we sort that out, and perhaps there's some new parties, but there is a leader in each party that is supported by its MPs, and they fight a general election based on, I, you know, we want to have a referendum, or we don't want to have a referendum. Well, how about we want to stay in the European Union or we want to leave? Because I think we should have an election only if there is a choice between the two parties. At the moment, there isn't. So you would say take Article 50 off the table as well? Well, no, I'm not saying that. But what I I have said is if we have a general election, there is only any point in having one if there are two clear choices about leaving the European Union or staying in it. Because otherwise, all we'll have is the same ridiculous kind of... um, game yeah, with no true. end where nobody yeah. can agree on anything and there's, and there's no win but the problem is we only have till next friday to do it so we can't have a general election in that time if we if we say well we'll just crash out and then have a general election we'll never be given the deal that we currently have in the european union again we have a fantastic deal in the european union i'm not suge- i'm not advocating that we stay well you're saying I- we got a fantastic deal at the moment the one that, not the one that she's she's saying is coming, the one that we live with day to day and have done for the last... I've never heard anybody years. calling it fantastic before. Are you sure you're feeling uh, all right, Roy? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do feel all right. In terms of the deal that everybody else has got, the amount of say we have on the amount of committees that we have, the vetoes we have, we would never be offered the same... When was the last there. veto that we used? I don't know. Exactly. We don't have a load of vetoes. That's the point, Roy. What they do is they have a sign-up, and I was listening last night uh, to, the, to uh, I think it was a Dutch politician on the news, who was actually saying the European Union is to blame for all of this because the European Union has single-handedly manoeuvred and engineered itself into a position of power, into a position of land-grabbing, into a position uh, of expansion and uh, general federalisation. Hang on. I don't disagree with you, Mike. I'm not, I'm not but, a Remainer. Um, I, I wasn't sure at the time of the vote which way to vote, um, and I actually had a, a very different opinion of that, that as well. Yeah. I didn't think anybody over the age of 45, which includes myself, should really be yeah. voting. But you've just said to me, Roy, and I'm not, I'm not having a go at you here, but you've just said to me we've got a fantastic deal, but you don't seem to know anything about it. <laughs> Do you know what well, I mean? I, I know enough about it. I'm not professing to be an expert. But I do indeed know enough about it to know that we wouldn't be given the same level of deal that we currently have again if we wish to rejoin. Yeah, but we don't need to be in the European Union is the whole point of it, Roy. And we are realising that were, the longer that we, we go on. General election. But you were saying we have a general election to decide the party that we want to stay in the Europe or we don't. Well, yes, not time but, but, that. but that will never happen. It will never happen because there are not enough MPs in the party of the Tories or the party of Labour who will actually say, right, let's turn this into a party which is either pro-Europe or anti-Europe. You're talking about, you're talking about politics, but there is only the two parties. I was saying that the, they should sort themselves out and form sufficient parties that the leader is supported properly by their MPs. You don't want to break it down into proportional representation and and, and all sorts of nonsense like that, because I tell you what, that's where madness lies. Proportional representation is nonsense. 
It is nonsense, yeah, because you know why it's nonsense. You don't get any kind of uh, uh, thing that you want. Everything becomes a compromise. You don't get uh, to, to, to win or lose an election. And also what happens, especially if you get uh, the list system, is you end up getting parliamentarians who you didn't even vote for taking their seats in Parliament because they're nominated by their own parties. And that's nonsense to me. So you think our system's perfect? I don't think it's perfect, no. I think it's the best system that we can have because first-past-the-post is the only sensible way to run a democracy. You can't run where everybody gets a go. It doesn't work any any well, any there better. Are, there are other countries that work a proportional representation system that does work. Well, where do you think is a better system than ours, then? Um, Holland. You think Holland has a good system? Yeah. Well, Holland isn't anything like our country, is it? Well, all countries are different, aren't they? We're, we're located differently, so we and we have different heritage. But what makes you think that the Holland the Dutch system is better than ours? Um, well, from the Dutch people that I meet on my travels around the world. Well, they tell you that Holland's great. Yeah, they t they tell me how things work, how their education is very based, very much on our education system was in the sixties and seventies. Um, all sorts of things. I, I mean, I, I'm not going to go into lots and lots of detail. I, I was giving you my opinion. My opinion is based on my life experience. I get that, but, but not, I mean, you I'm don't seem to. You, when you make wide-broad sweeping statements, Roy, without anything to back them up, like oh, well, the Dutch okay. system is better than ours. I'm not sure that it is. It might be, but I don't see that Holland is a sort of straddling the world as some great superpower. I didn't phone to argue with you, Mike. I phoned to give you just give you an idea. No, listen, I'm not arguing with you, Roy. This is not me arguing. This is me discussing. If I was arguing with you, you'd know about it. It's somewhat inflammatory to tell me that I've got nothing to back up what I say. Well, it's not inflammatory. I'm just telling you the truth. You haven't got anything to back up. You told me, for example, that, you know, the veto system that we have in Europe is great. And then you couldn't tell me anything that we vetoed. I didn't actually say it was great, I think. I said it was the best that there is. Well, you said it was fantastic at one point. Yes. But I, I think I used the word the fantastic deal that we currently yes. have. Yes. We well, I, well, I, I don't yet. agree that it is fantastic, Roy. That's my point. And okay. I, you know, listen, so I'm, you're entirely, in, you're, you're, entire, you're entirely in, entitled to your opinion, Roy, but all I ask is that you have a reason for, for, for making the remarks that you have, that's all. Well, the state that we're in at the moment, we're going to end up with a no-deal Brexit, and people who with um, cancer and requiring cancer treatments are not going to be sure whether they're going to get their drugs. Well, I'm not sure that that's true either. Okay, well, the, what's... That's what's in the press. That's what you get. That's what we get to read. No, that's what you get told by a lot of Remainers and people that are trying to scare you. That's what you get told. But you don't oh, believe right. everything you're told, do you? Well, what happens to the Euratom agreement? Sorry? What happens to the Euratom agreement? The Euratom agreement will cease to be in effect until it is renegotiated, I would imagine. And so all the cancer drugs that are coming across because we're in Euratom, what happens in that period? They can be obtained from other places if you're that worried about it. But I don't think, I mean, that is, Euratom is one of those shibboleths that people pump out if they are trying to scare people. You never heard of Euratom until about three months ago, had you? Uh, two years ago. Two years ago, right, okay. So you know about more about Euratom then than most people do. Um, I listen to, I'm, I'm afraid I don't know the guy's name. Um, but he's a, a, a scientist, one of our famous scientists, older guy. I can't think of his name. Okay. I probably don't know his name. No, and you probably he was, don't. Uh, he was on a documentary <laughs> explaining okay. all about it. You sound to me like a bit of a closet Remainer, Roy. Well, that might be true. Might be. Let me finish when I said I didn't know how to vote. So I allowed my um, my godson to, to do, um, a, I don't know what it's called, when you let somebody else take your card. Proxy. And he said, which way do you want me to vote? Because I was out of the country at the time. He, asked, he said, which way do you want me to vote? I said, I want you to decide because it's your future, not mine. Okay. 
Well, that's very generous of you. Listen, I'd love to keep talking to you, Roy, but I've been told to move on because we've got news to do. But come back on because we've got lots more to talk about. But you're hitting all the touch points that the scaremonger has hit and the Project Fear people hit, which tells me uh, that you're just pretending that you don't really know what to do. And actually, you are a massive Remainer. But there we are. Roy and Preston, thanks for your call. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.